When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right. Barbara, do you want to introduce yourself on video to your audience? So this is interesting because I normally do my regular opener, which is welcome to Financial's podcast, Future Rich. I'm your host, Barbara Ginty, and I'm a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. Um, And we're doing a role reversal this time, and I am the one getting asked all the questions. Oh, yeah. We have a very (laughs) special episode of Financial for you all. Um, and I'll introduce myself. I edit the podcast and uh, help Barbara and Alex produce it. So yeah, we asked you. My all female for... dream team. I, I know it's just the three of us. Like all female team. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty. It's pretty cool, and we've been working together for over a year now. Financial mm-hmm. is going on two years, right? Over two years. Over two, just over two years for the podcast. Yep, just over two years for the podcast. So. Um, still really new if you think about it and well, it's funny this that this is like the first time that we're showing our I faces had, I know we I feel like Alex in particular loves to be behind the camera um, mm-hmm. and behind the scenes um, but yeah we I guess we kind of were talking about how I don't really I haven't really shared my story too much like my background too much um, but yeah so financial action was an idea I had I think it's officially 10 years ago. It started out as a financial software. Tell, tell them more about <laughs> this software. <laughs> well, it didn't go so well, uh, which I think is like most entrepreneurs' story. Um, I spent a ton of money and quit my job. I left Bloomberg and spent, I think, over a little over a year. I was a waitress and... Um, waited tables in the evening. Sometimes they made me do lunch, um, which sucked because I tried to spend most of the day working on the software. But yeah, I built a financial planning software with the help of a coding company that I hired. I tried to learn SQL. It did not go that well. I found out it was more efficient uh, to hire someone. But yeah, I did that um, from 2000 and basically 2011 until 2012, I believe. Yes. And then financial was reborn as um, a podcast and online classes years and years later. You want to talk about like 
when and how it was born, like reborn. Yes, yeah, so I feel like every great, like yeah, every great story starts in a bar. Is that a saying? Um, so I was out with my friends. Alex and I have mutual friends, uh, also commonly referred to as Potter. Uh, so we have mutual friends, and um, the advice I had been given, because I, you know, would talk to multiple entrepreneurs was that maybe I should do something that's a little bit more in my wheelhouse. And obviously coding was not, I knew personal finance really well and knew general finance really well. But the coding thing, I was really at a deficit because I had to always hire people to do that for me and learning it on my own wasn't going that well. So I was told I should do something that I'm better at. And I always like working with people and I'm not afraid to public speak. So I, they suggested either a blog or a podcast. And I was like, I hate writing. Um, so I'd much rather do a podcast. And I was just out with my friends at a bar one night and I was telling one of my good girlfriends, I was like, oh yeah, I think I'm going to do a podcast. But like, I haven't just like was suggested to me, I know nothing about it. So I'm going to have to like find somebody. And she was like, oh, Potter is a podcast genius. <laughs> I was like, really? And, po and Potter was there. So Potter was like, oh, I'm not a genius at it. But like, yeah, I went to school for this sort of stuff. Like I can, I can figure it out. Like, why don't we do it? on a Saturday or something, they're like, we'll just do a podcast. And I was like, okay. And Potter found the people, like she put out a post and got a bunch of people and she did everything. And we just showed up on Saturday and we had, um, I think we did five women the first day, like just all day in person. And some people came in as like far as like, they took the train in two hours to do it, which I was like, wow. Um, so we shot, I think it was like 10. We did two weekends. We did, I think five and five or six and six, something like that. It was, there were long days. and it, we got some pretty good feedback on it. And like the women were coming in and like from pretty far um, and obviously spending their time. So we decided to make a go of it and try, that was like our sample set. And then we were like, okay, this is working. Obviously online is easier because we can cast a wider net. When you listen to the podcast, you'll, you'll hear that in the beginning, everybody's kind of from the tri-state area. And now that we're doing it remote, we can get, we had somebody from Canada and Florida and California and Colorado. So we can cast such a wider net. But yeah, that's how it started. It was like so haphazard because the first go at financial was so difficult and just felt like I ran into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle and nothing worked. It just felt like I was literally running into a brick wall on a regular basis. It was so frustrating. And then the podcast was so easy and so fun and came together so seamlessly. So now we've been doing it. This is our second full season. And so we're going to hit a hundred, which, you know, a hundred episodes this year, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So there must've been something about like asking women in particular to talk about this weird subject that no one really wants to know and isn't really that weird because everyone has to deal with it, their finances in kind of a safe environment with someone who is an mm -hmm. expert like you, who can actually give them real advice without the pressure of even like meeting in person. You know? Yeah, it's totally anonymous. So people, I think someone asked me like, well, like, what's your breakdown of like the women you have on? And I'm like, I have no idea other than like their fake name, their age and what they tell me, like, we don't actually physically see them. Um, I just know location and age is like really the, you know, where I can give statistics on like who we're meeting with, because uh, it's all virtual and all anonymous. Um, yeah, so that's been super interesting to hear all the stories. And the reason, and some people don't even realize this, but it's only women guests. So I only have women on as guests. Like, for experts, it's, you know, you can be a man, because um, I didn't want to limit expert advice. If you're a great lawyer and you're a man, I don't want to not have you on the podcast, but I, I only allow women on as guests. So, you know, we had a couple of women say, like, could my 
spouse come, even if it's same sex, I only allow one just to be fair. Um, and so only one person, the female and same sex, still only one person um, has to be there to represent the finances. Cause I think it's really important to be able to verbalize your finances, right. And not have someone else say it for you. And it also forces you to look at the numbers. And what I always found was, and I, got my, I always get in trouble with it from my mother. My mother's like, you talk too much about money. And I'm like, well, I think money is a really important thing to talk about with your friends, especially in terms, I think of, um, career advancement. How do you know what you should be getting paid if nobody ever tells you what they're getting paid? Like, how do you know if the person next to you, male or female, is making more unless you talk about it? And it's always been this taboo topic where you can't ask your friends what they're making. And I think it's important. And that's why we, we, we say it on the podcast, like what industry you're in, if we can be more specific, like what type of role without trying to like, we don't want to give up identity, um, what you're making. Because if you're listening and maybe you're in that similar field, you're like, oh man, maybe I'm getting underpaid or maybe my pay is on target with where it should be. Um, so I always found like it was such a taboo topic. I always found it really interesting. Like, what are you making? What are you saving? I've always just been super interested by money and also people's perception and relationship with money. So I've always liked to talk about it, but my mom's always like, Barbara, money is a topic you just don't talk about. And I'm like, well, I really like to talk about it. So I really enjoy the podcast because I just like love hearing um, what people are making, what they're doing with their money. And then obviously it's great to be able to try and help and see if I can drive them in a different direction to try and get them more aligned with what their goals are. Yeah. Yeah. So you would, so I guess this kind of goes into my next question with like, when did you know that you wanted to be a certified financial planner? And like, so I, oh my, how, how did like, you get into that? So I always did want to do it because my father and my aunt did it. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to, um, I'm going to go to wall street. Um, so I went the totally opposite direction because my family, my aunt and my dad were, uh, both CFPs and did financial planning. And so, um, my first job was at Bloomberg. I had a financial sales training program. I made a ton of friends that way. It was really great. Um, I actually, I didn't go back to school to get an MBA. I started the business instead and spent all the money that I probably would have spent on, uh, an MBA starting my first version of financial. But I always say the sales training program I did at Bloomberg was phenomenal. We took classes on mortgages, on CDS, um, on der other derivatives, equity derivatives. We learned so much in that it was almost like nine months training. We had classes, we had homework, we had tests. It was like really incredible. And I made a ton of friends as well because everyone was coming right out of college. They actually hired every two weeks. There was a new class. Yeah, it was, it was really awesome. I'm, I feel really fortunate um, that I got into the program. I think I literally applied 40 times. I think I applied so many times that they just finally offered me an interview because they're like, this girl is not going away. Um, so yeah, I went the total opposite direction with finance because I just didn't want to do the same thing my dad and my aunt were doing. I felt like I should do something different. And so then I didn't think I wanted to be a CFP because... I literally just didn't want to do it because that's what they did. Um, so when I started the financial software company, I did that because it was also different than what my dad and my aunt were doing. They were sitting down meeting with people one-on-one, -on -one, very traditional. And I was like, I'm pretty good with money. I had figured that out by that point um, that I felt like I was helping people on the side. Like I was meeting people over lunch or at coffee shops or people I actually... At Bloomberg, I set up a bunch of 401ks for people. People knew I knew how to set them up and understood them. And so that I would get emails and be like, hey, I heard you can like help me with this. So I did the financial 
um, tech startup more so because it was also different. It like wasn't going that traditional route. And then when that failed, again, my, I went back to Wall Street and my boss hired me back. He was at a different firm. He hired me back. I did the same thing I'd done for a number of years. And my sister was like, why don't you just like buy dad's business? He's selling it. That He has an offer. I think you should buy it and I think you should do it because you do it for everybody on the side anyway. And I was like, no, no, no. I like working on Wall Street. I make more money than dad. It's like, in my mind, it was more prestigious, you know, like I work at a big firm, you know, I have an expense account, you know, I don't want to go work in this small town and do something that like every, you know, in my mind, like anybody could do that. Like I, I worked really hard to get to on this team. That's like, I don't know, it wasn't really that special, but in my mind, I was like, I'm doing something different than dad and that's what I wanted. And so my sister was like, you're not really that happy though. So <laughs> thank you, Erin. Was she, was she right? Were you really not that happy? I think I, w I am such a goal-driven person. I don't think I ever took the time to think about whether or not I was happy. I was on this track and I had these goals that I wanted to hit. And so as long as I was hitting my goals, I felt like I was happy. Um, I had never really thought about, and I liked who I worked with, right? Like I loved who I worked with. I worked on a great team. It was really interesting. I was learning a lot and I, I love my team. I'm still super close um, with those that were on my team. Like I would consider them my very good friends. And so that makes a big difference when you're going to work and working with people that you really like and respect, right? Um, but no, I don't think that derivatives is something that like inspired me to wake up in the morning. I just think I really liked who I worked with. And I think that, and I liked a challenge and that was a challenging team to be on, a challenging product to work with. And so that was good for me. I like a challenge. So yeah, when my sister said that to me, I was like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. If I wasn't working with a specific team, would I like it if I went to work with people I didn't like? No, probably not. Whereas with personal finance, you know, I work alone and I don't have some of the benefits of working with a larger company, but I still like, I read personal finance books. I think about it all the time. It's something that like is more ingrained in me. So I think Natasha, as usual, uh, was right that I think making the change, which is always scary to switch careers because I switched careers at 29. Do you want to talk about like how that felt and what like really pushed you? Was it Natasha saying that to you or was it something else? Like it was an inherent Natasha. feeling. Like if Nata Natasha's son, which is good, calls me out for things. So she, you know, said to me, I don't think that what you're doing is what you really want to do long-term. And I think that this is an opportunity, you know, to buy the family business. I bought, so I bought my aunt and my father's business. And I think that had they not been selling it, I wouldn't have done it, um, but they were selling it and had a buyer. So it was like either I buy it and match the offer or I don't buy it and the business is no longer, you know, it's out of the family, right? I can't now go buy it. Um, so my sister's argument to me was, I think you should buy it. There's no downside. If you decide you don't like it after a year or two, you just go find a seller and then you sell it and you can always go back to your team or somewhere you know, you could always go back to Wall Street. It's not going anywhere. In theory, you could go back and get a job. But you can't always buy the family business. Like once that's out of the family, then that opportunity, that door is closed and closed for good. So I was like, that's true. So I called, I called my aunt, my dad and I was like, could you guys wait a few more years? Like, could you give me till I was like 32? And they were like, no, we're retiring. We're done. Like, Can you talk a bit about like, I think that that's so fascinating and so cool that 
you weren't handed this business, like you matched their offer, no. you bought the business. They weren't like, yes. okay, it's in the family. I'm going to give it, I'm going to, she's going no. to inherit it. It was like, no, that this is a business deal. <laughs> oh yeah. I had to get my own attorney. Uh, so your attorney was going up against your dad and your aunt for this business. Yeah. Cause um, you can't, you're not, and the other buyer. Cause you need to get, yeah, you're supposed to get your own attorney. They say that also with prenups, right? You have to have your own attorney. You shouldn't have your the same attorney. Um, no, so I had my, I got my own attorney. I got my own opinion. Um, I do think I should have done a little bit better job with this valuation. I just trusted the val. It was a business valuation. I trusted the business valuation. Um, and then we have a contract. So uh, it's actually funny though. The girl, woman, not girl. Uh, my friend on the trading desk was the trading assistant. And I was like, "Can I borrow you for a minute? Can you come with me to like?" There's a, like the mailroom floors, like no one's on it. So I brought her up there, and I was like, "I need you to witness my contract signature." And she's like, "What does this imply?" And I was just like, "Well, just that like it's a valid signature." And she's like, "Oh man, why do you really need me?" And I was like, "Yeah, I need somebody, and I need to submit it today." So like everyone else is busy. So yeah, she witnessed it on the floor, the mailroom floor, my signature for my contract that I then submitted to match the offer. Um, That's so insane. yeah, no, I, I, de I definitely think where I had a leg up is I had the opportunity, not everyone has an opportunity to buy a family business, right? So I had a, an advantage in that st standpoint that, that that opportunity was presented to me. So I feel lucky for that. I also feel lucky that um, the way that it's tr traditionally structured and, and everyone does it a little bit differently, but you pay a third, a third, a third, and you have various, you know, so if you buy the business, which you're basically buying the client list, right? It's not, there's no tangible asset. I don't get like a car and I get, you know, you get nothing, right? So you get the list of clients is what you're buying. So the way it normally works is if you don't retain, you know, if you buy that and then that person you're buying from goes out and starts their own business, they're supposed to be a non-compete, but if they like steal back, you don't, there's like a retention portion. So what we did instead, because I didn't have the money and I didn't want to go to a bank to finance the first portion is we actually, instead of doing a third, a third, a third, we amortized it. So I pay it like a mortgage. So I had the benefit that I didn't have to do a huge down payment upfront. And then therefore you'd have no payment to like year three. We just did monthly payments over a set time frame rather than large installment payments, um, not consecutively, right? Like a year one, year four, I don't know, you're six or seven. Um, so we did do the financing a little bit different and that worked well for me. So I think I got a little bit of a, a break with that, but no, I, I have a 4% interest rate on my loan, which is higher than mortgages. <laughs> and, uh, and I paid for it a, a lot of money. What kind of has changed for you now that you are a business, own, like you own your own business, you're not working for Wall Street anymore you only have yourself to really answer to like how, sometimes how do you manage it just, that to be honest sometimes it really sucks like it is nice to be like oh the light bulb's broken or, or to give you a perfect example on a day it was super busy i'm not joking like the ceiling fell down and it just started pouring water out it wasn't even raining that day i was like where is the water coming from there's no water on and like i have meetings and i have to get like i like i don't have any tarps so like oh my god I was getting audited that day. The auditor was like, do you need help? I was like, I do. I do need help. Like, I don't know why the ceiling is raining. It's sunny out. I, the, the person who lives upstairs supposedly isn't running the water, which I believe them because I don't hear anything on. I have clients walking in. I am by myself because my assistant had quit, I think, at that time. And I was just like on the verge of tears. So I was just like, this is insane. Like how, 
some days you're just like running a small business, honestly, and I've said this before, which is kind of probably terrible, but sometimes running a small business can be like death by paper cut. It's like a thousand little things have gone wrong and you just, and it's not your job, right? Like it's not like what your professional skill set is, but it's like your problem. Like you can't, like you have to fix it. Yeah, like you have to wear like a thousand hats rather than just focusing on one thing. Yeah, but it's I worth it, right? What, I definitely think it's worth it. I definitely think that it's a roller coaster ride that's not meant for everybody. I think there are pros and cons to everything. I think it 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 is well suited for me now, but I will be blatantly honest, the first few years it was really hard. And it was really hard because I took a step, you know, a, a career change, I think for most people is a step down in pay and it was a pretty significant step down in pay for me. Um, and not to mention, I now had financial obligations where prior to that I didn't, like I had a no, you know, the loan for the business and I've never missed a payment and nor do I ever intend to miss a payment. Um, but that, you know, that was a struggle because you got paid last and I didn't have all these financial obligations as a single person with a corporate job, right? Like I got paid my money, I paid my rent, but like I didn't have a, a mortgage, I didn't have a loan. Like, so it was just like whatever I want to spend my money on, I obviously was always saving, but I didn't have that pressure of having to make payroll and make a loan payment. And then at a certain point, make a mortgage payment. And like, what happens if you don't have enough money? Um, to make those payments. There was definitely times where, and I only had one staff person, but then my loan. And there's definitely times where it was like the end of the month. And I was just like, I, I just don't know how, like fingers crossed. Like I'd like add the numbers <laughs> and be like, God, I hope that everything clears. And like, I hope that check doesn't clear until this check clears. And then I hope I get a deposit in before that check. Yeah. Terrible. It's a, ter it's a terrible pressure you feel. In, yeah. initially and i and i think that i was lucky to buy a business that was revenue generating but it was revenue generating pre-loan right now i have a loan so i just had more obligations um in terms of like the business went from supporting like two people right and a staff person to now supporting the loan and the staff person and now i was supposed to be able to pull money which didn't really happen um not to the level where i could make all of my bills um and then i had to have health insurance and, and the cost of doing business had, had gone up, you know, the compliance and regulatory things had gone up. And so, you know, it's nice to be having started a business from scratch and starting a business that has revenue. It's definitely nice to have revenue. Um, but there's their own set of problems with an established business, right? Like, yeah, I think that there's this misconception with like being a business owner that you have, I mean, you do have a lot of freedom in some ways, but like what you were just saying, that's a lot that people don't think of. They just think of like hashtag boss babe. Like I have my yeah. own thing, but it's so much more than that. And I think that that's a lot of what financial is, is like kind of talking about all of those nitty gritty things that people don't think about and don't want to think about. But if you do talk about it and you do work towards fixing it, then you can eventually get over those hurdles and yeah. success for yourself, which you have. Absolutely. Yeah. And Ophelia was a one we did recently. She's a, um, a follow-up interview and her husband started a dental practice and it's absolutely worthwhile. And I'm like super happy and excited to hear how much they've progressed um, in a year, but there's all these little things that like you don't think about. So yeah, all my friends were like, oh, well you can like do whatever you want. And it's like, well, kind of, but then the business might fail. <laughs> 
right? And like my loan doesn't go away if I fail at the business. Like I still owe the money whether or not I make money. Like I am obligated to pay that. And the interesting thing is, I would say the one thing that I miss, and this is not true for every corporate job, so keep that in mind, but it's nice to be able to take a vacation and legitimately not have to like be contacted. Yeah, you're never really like tuning out completely. But then you can work from wherever you want and, you, you know. Yeah, you have, a, you have the positives or you have a lot of flexibility. And I think that that comes more as you advance as a business owner. I think the flexibility in the beginning is nil. I think basically you have to plan, and that's what I had told, told Ophelia, I think you have to plan to be there probably seven days a week initially. I worked many, many weekends and worked many, many nights. Um, I would say probably for the first five years. I kind um, of think that goes with some of the questions that we received too. Like, yeah. So once someone asked, kind of going back to Wall Street, how is the overall perception of Wall Street different than reality? And I think I'm really that curious. Some of this, yeah. Yeah. Well, so so and and to be to be fair, I have now run a business for seven years, which is crazy. So it has been a while since I've been on Wall Street. I do think now having a different perspective and have running my own business and meeting with other business owners and having a more broad perspective on finance. Um, Wall Street is in a a very specific experience in a specific location. And I think that creates a very unique environment and unique experience. I would say it's not your normal work environment. That's what I've learned that that is not, it's high pressure. um, It's yeah. So to give you for an instance, like I think I got my sales numbers every 30 minutes. So it's a pretty high pressure, you know, to, I mean, it's one way to take it. Like I thought it, um, I thought it was good to know where my numbers were every 30 minutes, but if you tell someone that who'd never worked on Wall Street, like, what, you got your sales numbers every 30 minutes? It's kind of intense. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't think about it because I had known nothing different. Um, but yeah, and the, the goals were, you know, set really high. So like one year we did X and they doubled it the next year. Yeah. So, so you're constantly comparing yourself to yourself and to everyone else. Like you're oh, yeah. battling yourself to get higher numbers. Yeah. And it was like a little yeah. cutthroat, right? So like everybody, you know, we shared some clients and like some of the more senior people maybe would go in and cancel your meeting. Yeah. That was fun. And it's like, oh. well, you kind of have to re- respect the the pecking order, but like, I really felt like I should be able to go in and meet with that person. Cause I felt like I had opportunities there and like, I have to get paid too, but that person canceled it. And like that person's like buddy, buddy with this person. I don't know. So that sort of stuff wasn't super fun. Um, so some of it's political too. Um, I mean, I was happy that I did it. It was a very unique experience to be able to meet with these incredible, uh, portfolio managers and traders all over the country. Um, I feel like you learn super fast because if you're not succeeding, you get fired. Like there is no like, Oh, maybe that she had a rough month. Like you just really have to hit your numbers and be doing your job always. Um, so one thing that was a little tough for me is we didn't really take lunch. Like that was not a thing, like, nor did you have breaks. I mean, you could get up and go get a coffee or water, but like, there was no like, Oh, I'm on a 15 minute break. Like I'm not, that's, that does not happen. Um, and lunch was like, not like everybody either ordered in or you went to pick something up and then you walked back and ate it at your desk. That was standard. And so I didn't, when I first bought the business, um, the woman working there was like, Oh, I'm going out to lunch. And I was like, okay, I'll like see you in 10 minutes. And she's like, no, no, like I'm going to be gone for an hour. And I was like, you can't just take a break in the middle of the <laughs> day. And she for was an like, hour. Oh, yeah. 
an hour in the middle of the workday. I was like, so my mom, my mom was like, so Barbara, um, people take lunch and it's okay. And they're allowed to do that. And I'm like, but in the middle of the day, and she's like, yes, at lunchtime, they take an hour. I take an hour. And I'm like, oh, she's like, you can't just like not do that. And I was like, well, I never got that. And she's like, yeah, but that's not a normal environment. And I was like, oh. That's just one of the like little examples. I feel like that I didn't, like no one really knows what it's like if you're not put into that environment or you're not, I don't know, like you're not familiar with what that kind of cutthroat community is like. So do you think it's taken, do you think it's still like that one? And two, like if you could go back now, would you? No, I would definitely not go back. I feel like at this point, I've invested so much time and energy into the business. I have really good relationships with my clients. I'm like really excited about the podcast and the online classes we're doing. And to be honest, the reason why I think I couldn't go back to Wall Street at this point is I think I would be too tired, if that makes sense. I just feel like you, and not to say that I don't work hard, but I think the grind of the super long hours, and I flew a lot. I had to fly to clients. And so, um, and I still fly now, but just it's different when it's on my own schedule, you know, versus being like, oh, next week you should be in Chicago or whatever. Um, I just don't know if I would have the energy. <laughs> this makes me sound so old. I feel like I'm like a seven-year-old. I don't think I have the energy, but I just don't think I have the energy or the drive to put the, the time I would need to working at that type of high-end sales role that I had, you know, when I did it at, you know, 22 to 29. How do you think things have changed for the better in recent years for female business owners? And what do you think still needs to change? So I think things have definitely gotten better, um, like more um, awareness, right? That maybe we're, there's not as many of us and why are there not as many young female business owners? And I'm hoping I'm still categorized as young. Um, there's, there's definitely not a lot of young female advisors out there and then probably less as business owner advisors because that's, you know, owning your own practice versus working for somewhere. There are pros and cons to both, but why are more women not going on the entrepreneurship ownership? Um, and I could say there's like a lot of reasons. I've always thought that one reason is because women, I think, are a little bit more grounded in terms of having health insurance. And that is a very difficult and expensive cost. It was one of the costs that I didn't really appropriately um, allocate money for when I took over the business. And I think as a young female, having health insurance was always a really important thing to me. And I met a lot of entrepreneur men who were like, oh yeah, I just don't have it you just don't have it. Like, how do you go to the doctors? Like, what do you need to go to the doctor? They like, never thought about it. And I'm just like, to me, that, that, to me, that was always a reason why I felt like women weren't doing it because they're like, oh, well, I want to have health insurance and to start a business, you know, to give you an idea, my health insurance has always run about a thousand dollars a month for seven years. That's so it's a, it yeah, it's a yeah. really big cost. Um, and that's like the most affordable, I think the most affordable, I think I've gotten it down to is like 890. And so that's like a really, to me, that's like a really big cost. So if you're doing this with a, you know, let's say you have children or something like you don't want to not have health insurance and not that I have it, but it's not really as good as a company plan. So I, I've even that expensive, a, it's still not as good. No, yeah. no way. Not nearly as good. Oh, I would kill to be in a company plan. <laughs> um, so that is one of the... That's my personal opinion. 
yeah, so I think that's my personal opinion. I do think things have gotten better. I also think that there's always an opportunity with not being the majority, um, right? And I think I, I try and play to what's unique about me. Um, you know, I'm a young female with Wall Street experience. I just don't think it's as common. And so I have always looked at that as an advantage rather than a disadvantage. Um, so, but I do think it's getting better. I think that there's more awareness um, than there was years ago. And, and also more than when I started my career, right? Like I've talked to women who are like, I'm so happy to see younger women at the table where we didn't even see, you know, I've been in this business since I was in my twenties. I'm now in my sixties. Like there were so few women back then. So I just think everything progresses. Um, so I do think it's getting better, but I don't think that this sort of stuff changes overnight. I think it takes time. So I think the first part is awareness. And I think there is awareness, you know, around having, that there's not a ton of females, right? That it's, we're not the, you know, we're not equal at this point, but that it's at least if it's known that that's the case, then you can work towards progress. Where do you kind of see both your business and also like financial and future rich and everything growing? I'd say within the next five and then the next 10 years. So I hope that everything continues to grow. I would hope my real hope with the podcast is that it provides a great platform for women to have a space to um, come on and talk about their finances and, and feel more positive about their finances or just get a check-in and feel like they're, yes, they are on the right track. And if they're not, how do they get on the right track? And I hope we can reach um, a wider demographic. I would really love to see um, more people um, on various spectrums. I feel like we have a lot of people in like a middle of the, of the road. And I don't know if maybe that's just like the average salary is what we're getting. Um, we've had some, um, variables for like, uh, higher earners and then, you know, lower, um, lower earners or people struggling with debt. Um, so I would just hope that we could reach more people and make more of a difference because I think financial literacy, I wholeheartedly believe it can change your entire trajectory. Like, I think that having, an understanding of money and how money works and how our system works, that is so powerful. I, I truly believe it can, it can be life-changing. And I've seen it from people who worked with my aunt and my father and how that education changed their whole trajectory. And I really believe, and I guess I'm just like that glass half full person, um, but I really believe that that's one of the tools that you need in your toolkit to create the life that you want, whatever that life may, may be. It's just one of those things people are scared to talk about. Why do you think people yeah. are scared to talk about it? I feel, I feel like it's always just been taboo, right? Like my mom has definitely like left dinner parties with me. I've been like, why do you talk about money so much? And I'm like, it's an interesting topic. It affects every single person at the table. Like there is no person who can tell you like, oh, money doesn't affect me. It's you're, if you're in our society, with the exception if you're like living off the grid, in the woods somewhere, but then you still had to buy that land, right? Like, unless you're like squatting. Like, I really feel like it affects everybody. Um, and so I think it's a really interesting topic. And I think it's, it's just always been taboo to talk about it. And I think that talking about it is important. I think being educated in it is super important. I don't think that the education in it is comprehensive enough. I think it should be taught at the school level. I think it should be a basic skill. Everybody is taught because everybody will deal with it. Kind of like reading. Um, 
And it's just not uniform with people's experience with their education on it or what they learned at home. It's, I just feel like some people are at a disadvantage with it. And I feel like it's always been something that kind of it's, you've had to learn it on your own, either by making mistakes and learning that way, or you had a parent or a friend or someone teach you, or maybe you taught yourself, but it's, it's just always, it's, it's not been a consistent topic that is part of our education system, unfortunately. And I think that, and a little bit of the taboo feature, right? Like you don't t say what you make and you don't say how much you earn. You don't, it's like a little bit, especially if you have debt, I feel like it's a little bit of a dirty secret. Like no one says that, like you don't say that you have debt. Yeah. And that's interesting because so many people are in debt. Like, uh, do you yes, know the number? Have, like, Is there a number? Over a trillion dollars of student loan debt. Yeah. It's and that's just student loan debt. debt. That's just student loan debt. Yeah. Yep. And because I feel like no one talks about it, I feel like that is one of the most convoluted things. And I think it's such a problem because I think they're taking advantage of people. I think getting an education is important. And I don't think getting an education should leave you with crippling debt. Not which just is why regular free, debt. Crippling. Which is why we have a free student loan class because I really feel very strongly that it should not be that complicated. Yeah. Well, do you want to end this interview talking about like the future classes that we have coming up. I think we have three more coming. Investing is done already, but we're going to put Investing social... is done, and yeah. investing makes me a little nervous because, as you know, I very rarely talk about investing, yeah. and it's more because of the compliance factor. Yeah. Um, so investing will hopefully come out. Yeah. Um, and then we also have a class that we're going to do on Social Security, and we're doing a webinar on Social Security as well in the fall. We're going to, by the end of the year, we're going to have four four online classes out. Student loans and Future Rich are free. Um, and then the other two are going to be paid for. So, and then we're going to be doing uh, a webinar, our first webinar in the fall with SUNY Ulster. Well, all of them are through SUNY Ulster, but that one's going to be a webinar. Um, and that will be specifically on Social Security and retirement. And that was a great, uh, that's one of my favorite classes. I know young people or people our age are like Social Security. But it's a really, I think it's a super interesting class and maybe geared more towards people's parents. But I just think social security is one of like the most fascinating things in our system. Yeah, people don't know a lot about it. So that's going to be a great one, everyone. You should definitely mm -hmm. check that out. So one fun fact, and I feel like uh, not many people know this about me, and I was told recently I need to tell more people, is I was kidnapped in South America. Not for a long time. It was like a very short... My sister would call it like a, a, a mugging relocation, I think is like what she phrases it as. Um, I would call it a kidnapping because we were taking it against our will to another location. Um, wow, we need a whole long. episode on that. I, I told, I went to FinCon and I told some people like really randomly, I'm like, oh yeah, well I got kidnapped one time. And they were like, wait, what? And I was like, and then my sister was with me and because we were together and um She's like, well, we weren't really kidnapped because he didn't have a gun. And I'm like, well, but we went to a location against our will. Like, I didn't want to go there. And then he threatened to kill us. And she's like, yeah, but he didn't have a gun. And I'm like, just because he didn't have a gun doesn't mean he'd be in, you know, thank God he didn't have a gun. He, that would have been terrifying. I thought it was terrifying without the gun. Um, this is yeah. the most positive kidnapping story I've ever heard. <laughs> So you survived. <laughs> we survived. Um, he kept my sister. I had to go get money. He kept my sister. Um, not for long. I just had to go like to the apartment and get money. But he took us to another location in, in a car. We got in his car. He was a cab driver. He like locked the doors, took us to another location, not where we had requested to go, and then threatened to kill us. Um, 
and then tried to leave us in this very remote uh, location, which I actually thought being left in the remote location was going to be more dangerous than being in the car with him because I was kind of afraid, like, I didn't know how we were going to, we didn't have cell phone. I didn't know how to get back to where we were living. I also was worried about, like, you know, like, what happens if someone else finds us who's, like, a worse person than the person we're currently with because um, it was, like, not a good area where he took us through, like, a very bad area. So I was, like, oh, and it was, like, in the woods and, like, fairly remote, but you, there was people there, but, like, not not homes. Um, and so I was like really worried about being left there. So I convinced him to take us back to like where I had obviously originally wanted to go. And so he took us back like nearby where our apartment was. And so I had, and then he kept my sister and then I had to go get money to get her back. And I was just like really nervous to leave her with him because like, what if he yeah. took off with her? Yeah. And then I have to like explain to my parents that I lost my little sister. And my sister was like, don't worry, Barbie doesn't have a gun. That's all she kept saying. Like, I don't see a gun. And I was like, will you just be quiet and let me negotiate with this man? So I had to go get money. And then I gave him a bunch of money, a bunch of money. I think I paid like $200 for her or something. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, definitely worth, she's definitely yeah. worth 200 Yeah, it was like two or $300. It wasn't like, I mean, at the time being, I was a college student. So at the time, that was a ton of money. Like I could live on that forever, but um obviously worth my sister and my sister was like it wasn't that bad like he didn't have a gun and I was like we should stop saying that yeah. wow so she we, we should definitely should she, do an entire episode she refers that. to it as like <laughs> it's like one of my um yeah my fun facts I feel like I like you get asked that question a lot like I come really like oh what's your fun fact and I'm like oh I was on the crew team or I'm a dual citizen and then I'm like oh no I'm just gonna the kidnapping story is my fun fact that was a good one. Okay, Lynn, mm -hmm. let's talk about your, the worst piece of financial advice you've had, and then the best. Ooh, the worst piece of financial advice. That's tricky, because people don't tend to give me financial advice. So, um, oh, and I'll give, I definitely know the best, because the best is my, was my mentor, the ad advice from my mentor. Um, so I think probably the worst piece of advice, why don't I tell you the worst piece of advice I've read? Um, so there's this trick with Social Security, that they basically say, you know, you can take social security and then if you keep the money, you can repay it and you have, a, you know, one year to kind of change your mind and have a do over is what I would call it. Um, but you have to repay the money. And so there was an article saying you should do that. You should collect your social security, get this, put it in the bank, make all the interest on the money, and then you pay it back and you get to keep all the money you made on it. And it was like, hold up, the banks are paying what? Zero? zero percent you're gonna do all of this paperwork to put it in the bank to make like 50 cents and this article wasn't old it wasn't like this article was from like years and years ago when the bank was paying like 10 percent where maybe you make a couple hundred dollars also the people who wrote the article have clearly never dealt with the social security office because it wouldn't be worth 200 dollars to do all the paperwork to make that money for 11 months there's like no way it would be worth it so I read that article and I was like, this is a terrible idea. And I can't believe this is like in some financial art, like recent financial publication. It was like more of a marketing thing, but I was like, this is not like a strategy to make money at all. You should yeah. have written a comment on there or reported it or something. I, well, at first, like, cause I click on all these things that are like financial yeah. related. It's like, just to make sure I'm not missing anything. And I was like, free loan from the government. Like, what's this? And I was like, oh, this is. By the time you file all the paperwork, like the money won't be worth it. Like unless the bank was paying like 20% or something, but like 
that doesn't that hasn't happened in decades so that was like the worst piece of advice that I I read and I tell everybody and this will be in the social I tell everybody in the social security class because this article is like still out there like ignore that article um and then I think the best piece of advice I'd ever received was from my mentor uh and if he watches this he knows who he is but he told me when I got my first job at Bloomberg that I needed to put in um, I needed to get the full match and like as best possible get up to the IRS limit. And so I didn't have the money because I was like rent and I had to buy suits and dry cleaning and I didn't spend that much money on food to be honest. Cause I lost, a t it was like the best diet. I like didn't spend any money on food. Um, I ate everything that was free. I was like going to the conference rooms when like they were done and like leftover sandwiches. <laughs> um, yeah. All of us, like people that had just started, they'd be like, Oh, there's like a conference that just ended or there's a lunch and learn and it'll be free lunch at this lunch and learn. So I'd go to those. Um, so he said to me, like, do a 0% APR card and then um, so that you put the difference that you need to get into the 401k on the card and then you can pay that off when you get your bonus because you can't go back in time and get the money and by next year you should be making more. This first year is going to be the hardest. So he literally like wrote it down on a napkin and I was eating all the free peanuts right at the bar. We were at, like some bar and he's like, like shoveling <laughs> yeah. in the free peanuts and I know he's going to pay for beer. I was like, yes beer and peanuts for dinner and he's like yes now put all of your money in the 401k and I was just like I, I this is like living large here I'm getting my free beer and my free peanuts tonight like I can't be in the 401k like I can't afford to be in it and he's like you can't afford not to be and so he's like this is what you're gonna do yeah and so I listened um ironically I didn't listen to my father who was like you need to be in the 401k and I was like yeah I don't listen to you <laughs> it's because he didn't so, have the pe the the peanuts and the beer and the yeah atmosphere. exactly yeah. And I feel like you kind of listen a little bit better to people who aren't your parents. You know, like he was a hedge fund manager and like very successful. And I was like very impressed with him. And I still am very impressed with him and I'm really happy for his advice. But it came, you know, it was hearing it from someone other than your parent was like a little bit different. And so, yeah, he like wrote it down on a napkin and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then the next time I met with him, he's like, did you do it? And I was like, I did. So that was probably the best piece of advice. And that account is worth so much money that's amazing yeah and it, I it's I'll kind of tell you the, i'll tell you the numbers i did it for four yeah. years i put money in that for four and a half years when i was at bloomberg yeah. from 22 i guess like a little bit over 26 and it's worth about three hundred thousand dollars now what in what four years oh in four, my God. Uh, for four years worth of money and so, and so if you I miss that first year that would be like detrimental be yeah, yeah. So I don't even know what I what I contributed, but let's just assume I contributed total to it sixty thousand, and I forget what Bloomberg put into it. Um, I don't know, but like actual dollars put in, let's say, was probably maybe eighty thousand ish, like that, something like that. Let's or we'll say somewhere between. Maybe I didn't do fifteen each year, but maybe I did twelve. So I put somewhere between. I'd have to look back at like old documents, but let's say somewhere between sixty and eighty thousand was actually put in in real dollars. So yeah, it's about triple. And that's why you use that example with your guests—the yes. like yes. penny every single day, right? Yes, that yeah. is why I use. You want to get as many doubles as you can because I yeah. I haven't put a dollar in that account since I was like almost 27. So tw we'll say 26. So from 26 till I'll be 36, it's tripled. And that's, you know, that's my own personal example, not reflective of your own account, but um, yeah, that account is where it's just about 300,000. That's amazing.
I know. My mentor is always just like, I feel like you owe me a drink. And I'm like, I owe you lots of drinks. <laughs> <laughs> you owe him like a drink a day for a year. I know. Yeah, I know for the rest of his life. Amy, thank you for joining me. And thank you for asking all the questions. My pleasure. For, yeah, this was really fun and definitely different. So for all of our lovely listeners, please follow us on Instagram. You can message us on there. You can give us suggestions for someone you'd like to see as an expert, or if you want to be a guest, you can get in touch with us in touch with us that way. Um, and as always, you can check out all of our free online classes at www.financial.com. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fit Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.